everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this chilly weekend in D.C. Before we get into the show, my wife desires to speak. Well, I just want to remind everybody, there's so much going on in the D.C. metro area. All these fabulous new restaurants are opening are a couple closures, but that's another story. Uh, everything that you hear in the studio today, but all the things that we do is on the list, are you on it.com, the online scene that tells you everything happening in the DMV. Also, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, X, LinkedIn, I don't know, all the platforms, and you'll see all my eats and treats, and I am eating and treating. Uh, David and I went to Moon Rabbit, which just opened. Um, awesome. Right, in awesome. 10 Quarter. It was fabulous. We're so excited for Kevin Tien and Susan Bay and the entire team there. They're really just all happy and great vibe. And if you listened to last week's show, we had the chefs in from Mita, um, and Miguel and Tatiana are doing some amazing Latin American uh, vegetable-forward uh, dishes. I got to check out what they're doing, their 12-course tasting menu. It's delicious. So, so much good to try and taste within the city and waiting to hear what we have on today's show. Yeah, I That's just you. Found out yep, there, let's go. There's actually 12, Come on, we got 12, time. 12 vegetables. Oh, no, let's now do. you want me to yeah. hurry up. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So often when uh, Bourbon Steak wants to talk wine and we bring somebody in, it's Wynn Robertson, our buddy. We brought in someone who's somewhat shorter than Wynn. Um, Victoria Rodriguez is... And she has hair. <laughs> she has lots of hair. She could, Maybe Wynn could borrow some. Uh, she is uh, the psalm at uh, DC's Bourbon Steak in the Four Seasons. And they've got over 850 labels from, you know, wines across wineries across California and Bordeaux and Champagne. So they're a natural draw to talk about Wine Day. Which is, well, the show is recording on the 17th, but the 18th, which is when you're listening to it, is National Wine Day. So effectively, today is Wine Day. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be talking to Victoria soon. And she's back again. Stephanie Coppola, who's Director of Marketing and Communications for the Bethesda Urban Partnership is in to talk about Savor Bethesda, which is a fancy way of saying Bethesda's Restaurant Week. Mm-hmm. It's on now through the 25th. Uh, you can get low fixed-price meals at all the restaurants you want to try. And Stephanie has brought in Payson Miataman, who is the owner of, and chef at Zao Stamina Ramen. And that's right around the corner from the Hyatt, right across the street from the Hyatt in Bethesda. And he's brought in some ramen yeah. that smells Delicious. amazing. So. Uh-huh. Back again is Stephanie Miller. She's the founder of Zero Waste DC and DC Reduces. Zero Waste DC empowers DC's government to speak with one voice on developing and providing resources to help residents and businesses and visitors move towards zero waste. Not bad. Let's do it. I re- I attended a recycling center in DC a couple of months ago, and it was a real eye opener. And I I can't wait to we hear. We just what have so much to talk about because Stephanie is say. doing so many amazing things. And there's so many ways we can all live more sustainably. So she's going to give us a how-to later in the show. Yes, she is. And Jen England, who's the vice president of external affairs for Food Rescue Hero, mm-hmm. is also in to talk about the problems. Uh, in, in America, we waste 40% of the food we produce. That's billions of tons of food. And it could feed the 40 million people who go hungry every day. But we're not doing it. 
So Jen is uh, Jen signed on to help, and we're going to hear all about how we can help mm-hmm. when she joins the show. But first, well, so we're doing so today's show is a little bit of food, a little bit of wine, and a little bit of good. So I let's get into the wine. I hope it's a lot of wine. Let's get into the wine, wine first. Okay, all right, Victoria, step up to the mic. Tell us a little bit about you before we get into. Yeah, the how'd you get into wine? Well, apparently, I'm short and I have a lot of hair. So yes. I feel like those are two things that, that you now know about. Well, me. you're not short on hair. But I'm fine. People, I think, maybe have a weird um, vision of me now, but. Um, yeah, no. she looks like cousin it from no. no okay, she doesn't. seriously. Um, yeah, I guess a little bit about me. I've, I've been in the industry for um, for a while. Been a, a sommelier for the past maybe about five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the best job in the world, and I love going to do it every day. So, what kind of uh, education did you have to do? Because you started in the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. decided to sort of dedicate yourself to wines. What's your education background? Well, my education background is I have a, a bachelor's degree in journalism, so mm. not you know maybe, not maybe good for today, but uh, not you're as. Talking not, to a history <laughs> major, so, I mean, uh. um, so you know it, it's always it's always an interesting question to answer because people are kind of like, well, where did you go to school for that? And I was like, well, my basement kitchen table, you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it's it's a lot of on the job training, it's a lot of um, self self teaching and self. Um, study and then of course you know being able to uh, get involved in um, groups in the city like uh, uh, tasting groups where you can you know sort of hone your blind skill blind tasting skills because that's a big part of um, some of the examinations. But it's also educating your palate right like I assume your journalism skills come in in retaining the information Mm. on the narratives of the wines right because each wine has a history. Sure. You know, yeah, and I think I also being being a sommelier and having the words to speak about it. I love words, mm-hmm. um, so definitely like having the language and the you know descriptions and um, yeah. I think I think the, uh, wine education is is an interesting thing because um, a lot of these things that people think are like magic, like blind tasting and things like that, are just really. Um, uh, theory and practice. And mm-hmm. so I, I really just being about um, learning as much as possible and realizing that you will never learn everything. Someone will always know more than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think having that kind of approach of that like beginner's mind and always being open to things um, is something that I find very important. I love that. Okay, what are you pouring yeah. first? Okay, so we're going to start with um, some bubbles because... Because that's how we do. Hello, it's early. Yes. Um, so uh, I didn't bring champagne today, but I did bring the next best thing. Okay. Um, so I'm going to make this. Wait, she didn't bring champagne. All right, you're out. Okay. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Woo, let's get the party started. Um, so uh, I brought a wine. Uh, the producer is called 1701. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a uh, sparkling wine producer in the um, area of French Accorda. Um, which is in the region of Lombardy um, in northern Italy. Mm. Uh, so it's a, it's a small region. It's just um, uh, south of the uh, border with Switzerland. Um, it's a pretty mountainous region. It's a cold region. Uh, so making sparkling wine um, uh, makes sense there. Mm-hmm. Um, like champagne, they use the uh, three champagne um, varietals. Uh, so you have uh, Pinot Noir, Ch- uh, Chardonnay, and then they use, instead of Pinot Meunier, they use Pinot Bianco. All right, well, mm. you're surrounded by Italophiles, so yes. pour, pour so away, my dear. Pour away, and let's get on to Stephanie Coppola and Savor Bethesda and all that's going well, on so there. Well, so Stephanie, add Bethesda, Bop. I love yes. calling it Bop. <laughs> Our nickname. Bop, Bop. <laughs> um, 
There has been so much going on, and I feel like, thank you, I feel like every time you come in, the region is growing in ways, in, in really positive ways, with new retail, new restaurants, yes. new, there's <laughs> so much building. Yeah, it's such a finite area. You know, downtown Bethesda is only like 300 acres with the Bethesda Metro Station right in the middle, mm-hmm. and we have close to 200 restaurants, we have all these shops. Um, to your point earlier, we won't talk about a few that have closed, because we have so many that have recently opened, Right. and really interesting um, great brands. We have a new vegan restaurant that just opened on Cordell Avenue, the Salt Line, Aventino. I mean, restaurants we've been waiting forever to well, have. So can we know, talk we, about well, that? Well, I was going to say, we're jo- we drove through Bethesda the other day, and it occurred to me the only open space left is the Women's Farmers Market. Everything else is jammed with. There's a lot. There's certainly been a lot of development um, that will eventually be developed as well. No and kidding. The, the Farmers Market will stay, but mm-hmm. it is also being developed. I mean, there's just. A lot. And we hope that helps the restaurant community because that means more people are living in downtown Bethesda in addition to the people who are working in downtown Bethesda. Well, I think that's what's kind of interesting is the it's not just the growth of restaurants and retail and office space. I mean, Bethesda, whether it had a premonition or whatever, it's so residential. So like a lot of the high rises you're looking at. Right. We're seeing a lot of new apartments and condos and you know, what's great about that type of, you know, living in the downtown, you have everybody from young singles in their 20s up through empty nesters. Right. Which is great for restaurants because your restaurant is going to be busy from 5 o'clock till 10 o'clock or right. beyond. And right. that's what really, you know, contributes to the vibrant restaurant community. And I'm sure Payson can add to that. Um, Absolutely. Before you know, we get into Payson, I, I just want to say we were, um, I mean, well, we live near Bethesda, so we're there quite often. And Andy lives in Bethesda. And Andy lives oh, in Bethesda. Great. But... Um, <laughs> You know, so last week, over the last two weeks, we've been in Aventino, mm-hmm. which is on fire. Only heard great things. It's can't, on fire. Can't you wait can't, to go. Can't get a reservation. <laughs> I can't you get better in. <laughs> book, book March and April now. Yep. Um, and it's exciting. It's very exciting for Mikey and the team. Um, but, you know, Sunday night, 9 o'clock, the place was packed. And yes. It's like... It's great to see. That it's makes really nice so to see. And there are some restaurants like the Salt Line we talked about, you know, they have a menu from nine to midnight and they're going for this sort of later happy hour crowd. And, and that's great. But so we were, to your point, we we're in the Salt Line a couple of days later. We had 930 reservations. I thought we'd be the only people in there. Right. And we weren't. I that's was like, great. Music to my ears. Becoming a nightlife spot. Best hamburger in the world. I, I think I've had it. It's delicious. Period. Okay. Can we get into ramen, please? All right, so Payson, talk a little bit about you, and, and I mean, you're a young guy. What what drove you to open up a restaurant in the middle of Bethesda? Um, so I grew up eating ramen. I was born in Japan. I was born in Tokyo and raised in Japan. I moved to the States when I was 15-ish, mm-hmm. and I grew, I went to high school here, and then I ate, I had like a bowl of ramen from this ramen shop in Brockville, and it made me upset. Because it was so different from what I've been used to. Because, like, ramen was such a, like, uh, it was, like, my soul. Like, it was my most favorite food like, mm-hmm. for a lifetime. And then I'm like, is this what ramen means in America? Like, Oh, because it wasn't good. It wasn't good. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll be honest. It took me it, a it minute. Wasn't. I was like, wait a second. What's happening here? You've been on. here long enough to know. You cook it. You put it in front of us. We'll eat it. No, no, no. But I hear what you're saying. Hold on one sec. We're going to take a quick break. Okay. Sure. When we come back, we're going to get into how you developed your ramen program. Yeah. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. You know, Nick, back in the day when I worked for Hex, the Hex Warehouse is over on uh, New York Avenue. And we hated being sent over there to do stuff because there was nowhere to eat for lunch. It was a wasteland. 
Well, not anymore. So the Ivy City area has exploded. And, you know, the very first restaurant over there was the Tavern at Ivy City Smokehouse. Now, this is a great neighborhood restaurant, but it's also a destination restaurant. First of all, they smoke all their seafood, and that is incredible. But it also is a huge kitchen that does amazing dishes, fresh seafood, great burgers, the whole deal. But the space is what you really need to check out. An amazing outdoor patio where you want to sit and have cocktails. They do live music there all the time and other live shows. And there is a great event space. So if you're looking for a place to hold a wedding or have a party, you definitely want to check out the Tavern at Ivy City Smokehouse. Well, it's uh, about 20 years too late, but now I have a good reason to go over to Ivy City and the Tavern at Ivy City Smokehouse. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with Dave and Nikki Nellis. We're talking with Stephanie Coppola and Payson Miatman of Zao Stamina Ramen. And we're Bethesda. drinking delicious sparkling. We're drinking d- delicious sparkling, but we're talking about the state of ramen. And listen, ramen's everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I can name six ramen restaurants within five minutes of but our house. But 20 years not- ago, there wasn't. There right. wasn't. Well, he wasn't here 20 years ago. I know, ago. but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it's also the change in how Americans right. eat, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you had a terrible experience in Rockville. Yes. And so how did you decide to open up your own space? Um, so I went to culinary school for a while in New York. Mm-hmm. And then I, that's where I kind of retaught myself the foundation of cooking. And I met my, um, I met a friend there. He was a son of a huge ramen chain in Japan. And then he, I was like, he was like, do you like ramen? I'm like, yes, I love ramen. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, have you made ramen before? And I'm like, I was like, yeah, I have. But then the only experience I actually had back then was I only took orders to make ramen. And I was like, yeah, I made ramen before. But he's like, no, you haven't made your own ramen before. Mm. And that kind of kept ringing in my head and also kind of made myself embarrassed a little because I've been like bragging. How I'm, I'm embarrassed for you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you so, make your own noodles? Yeah. So like long story short, that was the trigger of me um, learning how to make ramen from scratch, mm-hmm. and learning all five elements, which so are, let's yeah. talk people through the five elements because you're right, not everybody knows. Right. So five elements in a ramen, it needs to be in the bowl. So first one's gonna be oil. Mm-hmm. It's like the base. It gives aromatics to the bowl. And the second is word is tare, which means sauce in Japanese, and it gives like the major flavor profile in the bowl. And the third will be the broth. Mm-hmm. It can be vegan, chicken, seafood, pork, anything you make it out of. And then it will be, and like broth is like the soul of the bowl. And then the fourth will be the noodles, straight, curly, thick, thin, whatever you say. Mm-hmm. And the last will be the toppings. That gives you, um, sometimes it gives, it, it gives you extra character to the bowl. Sometimes it just like tones, everything, like balances. But can we the talk about the noodles? Because I feel like the yeah. noodles... Are as important as the broth. Like to me, the mm-hmm. the flavor of the broth is very important. And then the noodles, mm-hmm. like I, is it Sapporo Sapporo noodles Sapporo noodle. that are very famous? Yeah. So is that a um, is that something you're interested in putting in mm-hmm. your bowls? Because you're making your own noodles. Right. So what's the style of the noodles? So yeah, our the noodle we um, provide like offer at our shop currently is very similar to Sapporo noodles. Mm-hmm. It's very. Are you sitting there stretching them? Uh, we don't. <laughs> so what, what, what do you make it with? Uh, flour. Um, we use three different blends of flour, um, and then we add water to it, salt, and then there's this very, very important element called kansui. It's mm-hmm. it's alkaline powder, or more like alkaline water. And without it, I don't consider it ramen because it wow. gives that unique, like, gluteny notes to the noodle, mm-hmm. and it gives, like— How many um, different kinds of— 
ramen offerings do you have at your shop? At our shop right now, at the moment, we have, including the vegan options, like oh, I want to say nine to ten. I got to recap. That's a lot. So let's talk about the toppings because yes. I'm I'm used to getting you know the pork and the egg mm-hmm. and all that. What else do you? Because I can see um, different stuff in there. Yeah, so we offer actually something unique, a uh, thin sliced pork belly. It's mm. um, it's uh, for our signature dish. I mean, it's very, there's like no flavor, just straight up pork. But I use this topping to balance like egg, um, broth, like our signature. Because of the fatty. Like the fattiness. The fatty flavor. Like balance with the spiciness, and it's mm. just so good. I can't wait. Yeah, and we. Okay, so I'm going to go wait, into I step. just want to say one thing. The, 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 the. The food, the smell has permeated the studio. Yes, exactly. And people all, are walking around with drool cups. <laughs> We're salivating. Right, right. So, Stephanie, let's talk about what Restaurant Week looks like this year. Yes, for Bethesda. so we're in the middle of Restaurant Week. Um, it, it goes launched through yesterday, right? Yes, and it goes through um, Sunday, um, February twenty fifth, mm-hmm. and we have over thirty restaurants participating. We've got price points at ten, twenty, and thirty five dollars. And the reason what does we, that mean though? Like for ten dollars, how are um, restaurants participating? Yeah, for $10? you go somewhere like Tutu Suite or Red Bandana. It's a ba- it gives bakeries an option. It gives cafes an option. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you know, if you just do dinners, we're leaving out all these great individually owned and operated chef-owned, classically trained French chefs in Bethesda who might do, you know, pastries. So it allows those folks to participate. Um, It it allows a whole price point, you know. So it's it's casual, but it's also really nice dining, too. And Mm -hmm. you can eat a couple of times a day now. Right. (laughs) Well, and I also love the idea of incorporating everybody and for people who maybe – didn't go to a certain pastry shop or coffee shop because right. they just didn't know. Yeah. It's, a, it's just, an incentive. If you just go to your tried and true all the time, you don't know how great, you know, as I said, Tutu Sweet might be or Red Bandana Bakery, which exclusively is gluten-free. She's so, so darling. She is. Uh, she's so darling. So mm-hmm. it gives you a chance to try things you haven't tried before. And then, you know, with the savory foods, um, like Zao, we have many participating. And if you haven't tried them before... They're on Wisconsin Avenue, so they're not like in the row or in the triangle. You know, it makes you kind of leave your comfort area and try something. All new. right. Well, s- speaking of darling, I'm going to break in. Yeah. Uh, be- where do we go to find the list? Of yes. Uh, head to our uh, website. On the list? Are you on it.com? <laughs> but no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Um, <clears throat> Bethesda.org is our website. And just click on Savor Bethesda Restaurant Week. You will see all the participating restaurants. You will see what they're offering. And then um, some of them have very detailed menus. And some of them are a little simpler. But each restaurant details what you can All right. Get. And oh, one important question for Payson. And then mm-hmm. we got to let you guys go. Are you open on Sundays? We are open on Sundays. We'll yes. be there for dinner yes. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. And I know what we're doing. Okay. Dokey, and just um, can you remind everybody where to find you, please? So we're on Saturday. Uh, 745 Wisconsin Avenue. We're on Main Road, uh, Wisconsin. Right across from the Hyatt. Yeah, yeah, right, right across, across from Hyatt, Hyatt Metro, Metro. Tate. Excellent. It's, it's no, super right. easy to find. Right. Pass that right. down to David. Make sure. him try a little yes. okay. Well, no, I'm not going to. Okay. okay. Maybe we later. will. Maybe yeah, later. just hold it. Okay. Trust me. So, Austin. Victoria, Victoria, move your bod back up to the mic. So, now that you're at Bourbon Steak, I know you were at the Dabney before, which is an amazing place to start your wine education or get into your wine education. What was it about what was happening at Bourbon Steak that really attracted you? Um, it's 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 night and day. It's uh, it's a it's a Bourbon Steak is a massive program. Um, probably one of if one of the biggest in the city. It's one of them. Um, and uh, I would say the scope of it is is extremely ambitious, and it's really nice to work with because there aren't many wine producing countries in the world that we don't cover. Mm. Um, and because it is a steakhouse and so we are kind of like rooted in the classics of Bordeaux, uh, Barolo, et cetera, like the 
the types of wine that, that we get to pour and sell is just incredible. Well, let me ask you, because it's a Michael Mina restaurant, mm-hmm. are you, beholden is the wrong word, do you have to sort of, I mean, I don't know, do you and Wynn say, this is what we want in our wine cellar, yes. this is what we're going to do, yes. and everybody says that's cool? Yes. Well, I would hope so. Yeah, I think, well, and, and Wynn has been at that, been there for so long, and he is such a respect. I mean, he was running the advanced tasting group when I was going, and I was literally terrified of him. And so, like, being able to work with him, he so was, I know, guy. I know, he's now so I'm like, sweet. this guy is like, he's I, a pussy kid. But wait, but how many, how many Psalms does Bourbon Steak have? We have three. That seems like a lot. a lot. Yeah, there's there's probably no restaurant in the city that has three to full-time Psalms. Wow, that is amazing. But it's just such a big program and a big list that it's, you know, and we're so busy year-round. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, but can we dive into that for a sec? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think people who maybe don't understand the role of a psalm other than like, oh, the psalm comes over and suggests wine. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should talk a little bit of what else you're doing. <laughs> well, that's really all I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, because you're not just buying sure. wines, right? Yeah. Like, talk a little bit about that. In terms of... What do you do with your day? What do I do with my day? Yes. Um. Well, I wake up. Uh, no. no, I am. Um, I, I think really it's about being a present team member on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we have admin work and we do inventory and we keep things, you know, nice. But um, really, I think we're there to, you know, enhance people's experience. And um, so, yeah, I mean, if my perfect day is all I have to do is talk about wine. And that happens a lot, which okay. is really nice. Okay, speaking of that, tell yeah. us what you're pouring next. Yeah, so for the white today, um, I brought uh, your favorite, a little dry Riesling. Um, uh, it's a producer called... Um, all right, somebody drag her out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a producer called Mueller Catoir, and um, uh, they're in uh, Faltz, uh, which is um, uh, in Germany. It's south of the Mosul. If you can picture Alsace on a map in France, it's sort of a contiguous uh, region across the the Vosges Mountains there. They call them the Hart Mountains in Germany. Um, it's an it's a really interesting uh, uh, region, and it's a really interesting sort of microcosm of wine because this is a 2018, and 2018 was hot. Um, it is uh, sort of like really interesting to see the way that Germany's wine um, mm. grows with uh, warmer vintages and dry Rieslings that become like more powerful and more deep and more intense. Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting kind of you know cool. global warming and what it does to. Right. Well, on that, that's a perfect segue. Yeah. Thank you for that, Victoria. <laughs> because joining us dun, 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 again is Stephanie Miller, who's the founder of Zero Waste DC and DC uh, Reduces. Uh, and I mentioned that Zero Waste looks to help the DC government. Speak with one voice. Speak intelligently. She's like, no. I'm looking at her face. She's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It says, uh, I'm reading her stuff. Okay, well, stop reading. Why don't you just ask her? Why don't you, what do you do, Stephanie? <laughs> I don't work with the D.C. government. Right. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I uh, founded Zero Waste in D.C. to get the word out about what we can do as individuals to solve the climate and the waste crisis. Mm -hmm. And so I do that through workshops, keynote presentations, household consultations, uh, and try to really activate people to understand that they have a role to play. Yes, we need the really big systemic solutions. We need government doing more. We need private sector doing more. But we also have a role to play at the individual level. Right, because I think a lot of people think, like, what does one part like? What does my action really do? Or so, or put more, you know, 
negatively, we're cooked already. Why bother? Well, that's that's where David comes from. It's great. Yes. Um, But no, listen, so, you know, you and I have talked about this before. I mean, we compost, we recycle, but like, I know we are missing, there are major things that we can be doing that can be really effective. So like, let's do an audit. Like, what can people do? Especially like, we're in Montgomery County. Yeah. They don't recycle glass. Yeah. It's so painful. So talk about ways the individual can really change their habits. Right. So I would say there's sort of inside the house and outside the house. Mm -hmm. What can you do? Inside the house, when I go in, I look for two things in someone's home. I look for, are there ways they can reduce food waste? Are there ways they can reduce other waste, especially plastic waste? Mm. And the food waste piece, you know, getting to your point, David, about can we do anything? Here's one where we really can. So it turns out, and you may know the answer to this, but do you know where the biggest source of food waste comes from in the U.S.? Our fridges. Well, so you know the answer. So I didn't know this five years ago. I was thinking restaurants, hotels, grocery stores. It turns out 50% of the problem, of the food waste problem, is the household level. So why should we care about that? Well, it turns out food waste is a huge source of greenhouse gas emissions, 8%, which Mm. is bigger than the aviation sector, for example. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we at the household level can do something about it by reducing our food waste is terrific. But do you think that's because, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but I think about like people in the States, we grocery shop once a week, mm. right? Like we go and we do a big grocery shopping with good intentions, yeah. whether we put our- stuff dies in the fridge. Yes. Right? As yes. opposed to people maybe in Europe or other countries where they go every day. Yeah. I mean, I used to live in Paris and for three years- Stop I shop. Okay, yes, no, no, I, I wasn't going to talk about this on okay. this show. But yeah, I would shop every day because there were stores, I didn't have a car, but there were stores on right the there, home. markets every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- I absolutely think that's part of the problem. But then we know that, and there's still stuff we can do about it. So mm-hmm. what I what I try to say is there are some, there are lots of things we can do. I hope all of us in this room shop with a list. That's a, an easy one. But the the game changers and the ones the things that I'm doing now that I wasn't doing a few years ago. Number one, I store everything in my fridge in transparent containers. So I will prepared foods. Everything has a place in a Pyrex, in my case, container, so I can see it. Because it's what you said. If you you buy it, it sits in the fridge, you know, the corner of the fridge that mm-hmm. you maybe check it out when you're cleaning it. And it gets After three weeks, on it yeah, there's something you don't I mean, recognize. Not in my there's fridge. a smell you don't recognize. Oh, wait, that's not true. Hold on. That's we have true. to take a break. Hold on one second. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to Stephanie Miller about how to achieve, how to approach zero so waste So when you say glass containers, not just for food that you're making in home, right. like are you taking them to the stores with you? Are you saying like if you were to get deli meat or yeah. cheeses or things like that, are you giving them, instead of getting the plastic bags, are you giving them containers? And are they putting them in there? Because I feel like yeah. not everybody's on board with that. Yeah. So there's some health code issues in D.C., not in some other states like California. But there are issues with restaurants, for example, taking your container, your clean container, hopefully, mm-hmm. and bringing it in the back in the kitchen. There's sure. worry about contamination. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I talk about that 50% of the problem that we are around food waste and how to solve it. 
I'm not mostly talking about what we can do with restaurants here. I'm talking about what we can do in our own homes. Right. And the piece about storing in transparent containers is you don't end up with those nasty surprises. And mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many things yeah, I still – and I the do, frosted uh, plastic yeah. thing, like, what the hell is that? Yeah, mm-hmm. and if you don't it's know alive. it's there, if you don't have an awareness that's in your fridge, chances are everyone's going to ignore it. It's going to go to waste. The second major game-changing thing around food waste that we started doing a few years ago is using our freezer differently. Mm. So food is wasted if you don't eat it, but you might want to eat it later. So let's say you make a big pot of chili. You eat it day one, day two. You don't want to eat it for another day. In the freezer. You can free, it freezes so well. And then, you know, a week or two later, you'll be so thrilled that you've got this easy meal you can so defrost. So you find that people are checking it? Yeah, a lot, I think a lot of people do. Well, because they and think then, they'll eat it, I'll yeah. take it for lunch, I'll do this, and they don't, or there's, and then it goes to waste. Absolutely, or, you know, if you live in a household with more than one person, there's communication issues sometimes. Mm. Oh, I thought my husband was going to eat it. Oh, I thought my kid was going to eat it, and nobody eats it. Then there's the stuff you can freeze that is stuff I had no idea, tomato paste. You cook, you use a tablespoon, put the can in the fridge. Turns out you can freeze that tomato paste. It freezes really well. Mm. Uh, same with dairy. Butter freezes. If you're going out of town, put your butter in the freezer. So those are things you can do that really change the game at home mm-hmm. on the front end. And then you've got the back end on composting and making sure that when you do have food waste that is generated, like uh, vegetable scraps, uh, mm-hmm. coffee grinds, get it to a compost Well, bin. I, I think like in our neighborhood, everybody's very you know focused on composting. But I don't That's think— That's good. We do. We For all example, you know, obviously, you know, produce and that kind of stuff, paper, you know, that'll that'll do it. Cardboard. What about the chicken bones and yeah. all that stuff? Oh, Can that's you... a great question. Uh, yeah. So, really? so thank you, Stephanie. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, thank it's no, it's actually a real super important question because a little bit like recycling, where you got to know the rules, you got to know yeah. what stays in, what what stays out. Same with compost because the end system, wherever you put your compost, if you're not the one doing it then it needs to, you need to follow the rules for that. There's some systems that can accept the meat and the bones, mm-hmm. and there are others that can only accept vegetable scraps, coffee grinds, th- sure. eggshells, things like that. So it's really important to know the rules, just and like you would for recycling. dryer sheets. We found out that those are, a couple of months ago, that those oh. are Dryer compostable. sheets, paper towels. Oh, paper towels are compostable. Dryer I didn't sheets. know about dryer sheets. But I want to talk sheets. about avoiding plastic at the yeah. grocery store. Yeah. Because that, to me, is so hard. Um, it's it's literally yep. everywhere. everywhere. Yes. And, yes. you know, like when you're buying vegetables and stuff like that, like I specifically don't – at Trader Joe's, they actually have compostable bags, which I do apply. Do they? Okay. They do. But, like, at Whole Foods, they do not. Yeah. And I just – I'm like, I just throw the stuff in my cart, and then when I – take it up to the cashier, she's always, she or he are always trying to put it in a plastic bag. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want the plastic bag. <laughs> That's I'm great. trying to be right here. Okay, so you're doing what's called shopping naked. <laughs> shopping naked. Yes, you're buying your How produce. How dare you? <laughs> you're buying your produce unpackaged and you're putting it directly in your cart, which is fantastic. A mm. lot of people, including myself, aren't always willing to just throw it in the cart. So mm-hmm. what I do, the trick the, of my trade is, you know, most of us bring our reusable grocery bags to the grocery store already. We have that habit. So I throw in a few reusable produce bags mm. into those grocery bags. Where do you get 
oh, they're available online in zero waste stores. There's such there are few of them in this area. Mm. Uh, I've actually found some uh, at grocery stores, mm. and uh, they come in all usually cotton, reusable cotton. Throw those in with your reusable grocery bags, and you, and you automatically them. have them when you need and them. They don't weigh anything, so you're not adding to your. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. They're very, very light, and then. You know, if they're dirty, I throw Are them you in with about, the laundry. Like, lifting up the bags? Is that a problem? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where he's going with that one. So, well, I have another. another... Why are you trying to take my pants down on the radio show? It's not going to work. <laughs> I'm too smart. I, I, All right, we have one minute left. Okay. Give me one, one more thing. One more thing. Uh-huh. If you're going to coffee, like I look at my calendar, I'm going to coffee with someone today, later mm-hmm. today. I'm going to bring my own reusable mug mm-hmm. and I'm going to bring one for them too. Mm. And here's the thing. Um, so about a year ago, I started an initiative called DC Reduces to try to reduce plastic in the community, especially mm-hmm. I mean, waste, especially plastic waste. Mm-hmm. We have tw- 64 businesses in DC signed up. All it means is that they've got a green sticker in their window that signals to customers it's they're not going to be hassled, no questions if they bring their own fill in the blank, uh, right. reusable coffee mug, uh, garment bag at the dry cleaners, or these produce bags at the grocery store. Um, and we have 23 coffee shops in D.C. signed up. So if you have a grocery, if you have a coffee shop that you love and they don't have the sticker and they want to participate, get in touch. We can get. I have five volunteers. We can get the sticker to them. Okay, right, make well, a difference. Before right. she goes, I just want to say, if you're listening to Stephanie and you're saying, "Gee, you know," better come is, in is and she, audit your is house. Is she just somebody who started this? She's the former director of climate business at the World Bank and the author of a book called Zero Waste Living. The 80-20 way, and it's the mm-hmm. busy person's guide to a lighter footprint. So Love get it. that book. Yeah, thank you. All right, You're tell welcome. everybody where they can find you, please, on Instagram or online. At Zero Waste in D.C. Excellent. Thanks, Stephanie. Okay, thank Victoria, mm. will you just tell us, because we're going to give you a little more time at the end, will you tell us what you're pouring next? Yes, so we're going into some reds. Um, I'm sure you've had uh, Argentinian Malbec, but mm-hmm. have you had Argentinian Grenache? I have not. Yeah, probably not because there's only like 30 acres planted of it. Um, and this producer, um, it's, it's called Corazon del Sol. Um, they are a, uh, a producer, so they're 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 kind of like this idea of bringing your own varietals into um, Mendoza, and uh, specifically they're in the um, the Uco Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have this literally one acre of Grenache, and that is where this wine comes from. Um, it's usually, I mean, Grenache, usually a blending grape. We've, we've, we see it in uh, Chateauneuf de Pop in the Southern Rhone. We mm-hmm. see it um, um, in Spain and Priorat, but usually it's blended with other things. So it's very unique and amazing to have it be 100% varietal wine. Okay. Um, All right, we're going to let you pour great. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, pour and we're going to get in. So we're going to stay in our general theme about living better and smarter. Well, and about dealing with food in a better and smarter yes, way. Exactly. Jen England is the vice president of external affairs for Food Rescue Hero and 412 Food Rescue. Mm-hmm. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hi. I'm very good and very excited. I had to to tamp my enthusiasm and not chime in while uh, your previous guest was talking because this is my jam. This yeah, I mean, I figured you two would really... It's, uh, it's, it's actually, it's your compostable jam, but... Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. All right, so a little bit about you and then about... Food Rescue Hero and 412 Food Rescue. Let's go. Absolutely. How'd you yeah, get into this? So, well, um, I got into this. I was friends with one of the founders. We were on the board of an urban agriculture uh, organization together. And she kind of clued into the the massive amounts of food waste and the opportunity that, that Food Rescue presented. 
and we were having coffee and she's like, Hey, you know, I'd love your help with this. And I was blown away by the, the idea food rescue is such an elegant solution to two different problems mm-hmm. that, that I just jumped right in. And so, so what food rescue is to answer your second question is the idea of taking the food that's wasted at uh, consumer facing businesses, such so mm-hmm. your grocery stores, your bakeries, your restaurants, right. your universities and hospitals, institutions. So as well. much, so much. Yep which happens in a highly distributed network. So thousands of places around your community every single day are wasting food, sometimes in small amounts, but that really ends up creating a lot of food waste. Rescuing that and getting that to people who are facing food insecurity. Those 40 million people you mentioned at the beginning of the show Mm -hmm. that are um, struggling to to put food on their table. So it really is so elegant because it tackles two problems at once. So how do you help... What's the system? How do you help people not only save the food, but then get it to the people who need it? Because there's, listen, there's a lot of, there's a lot of groups doing a lot of things with a lot of good intentions. And I think some of the things you're saying, we kind of all know. We have this, this wealth of product and food. And yet we also have this, wealth is the wrong term, but we also have all these people who don't have access to good food, not junk food. food. Do you know what I mean? They have access to cheap food maybe, but really good, healthy, nutritious food. So how do you, how do you bridge that divide? Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. Food rescue is a simple concept, but it's actually really hard to scale and to enact because Mm -hmm. food is being wasted in that highly distributed network at thousands of different places every single day in anywhere from small to large quantities and 80 to 90% of it is fresh. That, mm-hmm. that, those are the numbers that come straight out of our network. 80 to 90% of the food that we rescue is fresh food, which is exactly what people need to, to live their best life, right? right. Um, in order to, to move that food, we developed a, an app, the Food Rescue Hero app, and it works like a rideshare program where when there's food that needs to be picked up and go to a drop-off location, it'll send a notification to all of the volunteers that are in that area. And if they're available, they can say, oh, yeah, I've got a half an hour. I will go pick up that food and I will drop it off. Yeah, we signed up for that. We did. We signed up for that. But it's not. It's a different food rescue. We work so, with a food rescue here in D.C., in the D.C. area. It's not under your umbrella, I don't think. But we no. do that. Absolutely. There are a number of organizations. So Food Rescue Hero licenses our technology to 17 organizations around the country Ah. and Canada. But there's a lot of other orgs that are doing food rescue and it takes a village. Um, We always say we're the and not the or. There are so many people out there working on the solution and we need every single body. Mm -hmm. I just want to mention Jen, on that note, I'm just going to put a pin in you for one sec. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk more about the particulars and how people can participate. And let's get some of the data on what we're saving here. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, talking to Jen England, who's a VP of External Affairs for Food Rescue Hero and 412 Food Rescue. Um Jen, as we said, she was going to say something right before we took a break. So go ahead, Jen. Yeah, I just want to talk about the the flip side of food rescue. The other thing that makes it really hard is that distributing 80 to 90 percent fresh food, when you ramp up that amount of food, that 
existing charitable food network really struggles and you don't want to take surplus from a grocery store and make it garbage at a food pantry. So we really work on um, creating a much broader network, a really flexible network that includes places like low income senior high uh, rises, um, supportive family housing, uh, Head Start programs, job training programs. And this is just so we have somewhere to take all this fresh food. But the actual result is that it changes what food access looks like for people. Well, so, for example, that mother, instead of having to, you know, take an Uber to get to the food pantry, you know, the two hours it's open, can get a bag of groceries when she picks up her kids. The first right? food rescue we did was at a bakery in out in suburban Maryland. Like a huge and, facility. And they a had, huge facility. if this wasn't radio, I'd tell you what kind of boatload. I mean, they had an unbelievable amount of... Bread. Absolutely gorgeous, delicious bread. And we said to the guys, what happens, you know, to everything that isn't taken? And they said, we throw it away. So we filled up criminal. garbage bags of loaves and loaves of bread. And actually, I'll be honest with you, we felt a little guilty. I was like, so can we take some for ourselves? Like, they were like, There's of some. course, but there was so much. So much. And the other thing we should mention is of the 40 million people that go to bed hungry every night, about 15 million are kids. Mm -hmm. So if you sign up for something yeah. like this, you're really doing... So what how do you find how do you find the locations that can donate the food who understand it and also deal with the legalities of it? Because, you know, there's yeah. there's there's so many layers here. Or do they find you? Um, both. actually. Yeah. So um, we we go out and we approach businesses that aren't um, fully maximizing their potential to donate food and we see if we can work with them. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they already are donating one or two days a week, but they don't have that seven day a week pickup that they need. And so we can go in and offer the businesses the opportunity to save everything, to get as close to zero food waste as possible. Hmm. Um, and then others reach out out to us. There's a lot of businesses right now that are recognizing that sustainability is really important to their bottom line. I bet. Well, it's and a it, money. It is a money saver at the end of the day, is. right? It is. Food waste um, hauling is really expensive. And if you can get somebody to take that food away before it becomes waste, while it's still good and get it to people who need it, that's a win-win. Well, talk about, because uh, yeah. we don't have a lot of time, about what happens when it does become waste and just rots in a landfill. Yeah, well, that creates methane gas emissions, as we talked about um, a little bit earlier. That is really, really bad for the environment. Mm -hmm. The methane molecules are actually bigger than CO2, um, so they actually hold more heat. And food, of course, breaks down really quickly. Uh, so you're creating almost an immediate impact, negative impact. Conversely, if you take it out of the landfill, you're creating an almost immediate positive impact on the right. environment. Absolutely. It's so important. And um, just lastly, how do people get involved? I mean, because there's there's a variety of ways you can volunteer, right? But Absolutely. the restaurant can be involved and then the people who are looking for food can be involved. So like how Absolutely. how do you how do you make all that happen? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I would say is to go ahead and look for a food recovery organization in your area. Mm -hmm. If there isn't one and you want to start one, we've got a how to start a food recovery guide on our website. And we do a monthly series of webinars on how to maximize the impact of your food rescue organization. Mm -hmm. But I think this is becoming a really... Um, uh, we're sort of hitting the critical mass for food recovery as, as people are recognizing that this is a solution that, it, again, it solves two problems. It's really elegant. So it's becoming so much more widespread. And it's, it's really um, imp our imperative to do something about it. Well, I, I have that. to say the, the website and how it works and the way we're alerted when there are 
there are rescues to be made is really it's exceptional. Whoever put that together really knew their stuff. Yeah. So thank you. Can you tell everybody where we can find you, please? Sure. Uh, www.foodrescueorg. No. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Those are the dots. All right. Jennifer England, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank All right. You. Honey, you want to give your speech? Oh, no. Oh, we got to go back to Victoria. Victoria. My God, how could I forget? We got more wine. So I have a question for you. You guys, do you, first of all, do you travel a lot to taste these wines or are they brought to you by. Uh, yeah, mostly. Yeah, mostly brought to us by distributors. I think um, we do enjoy going on on wine trips. There's got to be some R and D. Come on, <laughs> that's always a nice thing. Um, obviously, and what are you drinking these days? Like, given that Sunday is mm-hmm. National Wine Day, like, what are some of the wines that when people come in and if they're like, "Well, I like a Sancerre," mm-hmm. or like, "We're really hot on Mount Etna, Sicilian yeah, wines." Totally. Like, if you're like, if if we came in, and we're like, "Okay, we're really hot on Mount Etna, Sicilian yeah. wines." What's your like? Oh, I got something for you. Like, what would you pull out of Are you of talking your reds or whites? Red. Or reds? Well, I like the whites, too, but yeah. let's stick with the red yeah. on that one. Um, okay, so if you if you like, you know, uh, wines with volcanic minerality, if you yes, like Mount Etna wines, um, I would say there's um, some awesome wine being made, um, like, in the Canary Islands and things like that in, um, um, in Spain or in the, uh, the Azores, some of these areas that are literally islands made from volcanic activity sure. um, with indigenous varietals like uh, Listan Negro and things like that that are definitely on that like fresher, zippier, um, oceanic influence. Okay, she knows her stuff. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that was a test. You passed. That was pretty good. Congratulations. And, um, I did have to think for a minute. <laughs> is there something right now that at Bourbon Steak is pouring by the glass? Mm-hmm. Like if I go up to the bar, yeah. is there something right now that you're like, this is such a value or yeah. like you can't get this anywhere? Like what would you recommend? Yeah. Um, so there, there, that's sort of a, a two-part answer. I would say that I, I love our by the glass program because we have some of these things that are like a more approachable. I would say we have like if you drink heavy you know, reds, and you might want to try, like, a red from Ribera del Duero. Um, we have a Tempranillo by the glass from there that's, like, savory and bright but still full-bodied. Um, and then if you wanted to try something, like, really dope that you don't get by the glass very often, we have, like, Premier Cru Volnay that's on the upper end of things, but it's beautiful. Excellent. Okay. So yeah. is really dope a phrase they taught you at the Psalm School? <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> Your test was really dope. Okay, <laughs> so tell us, please, where we can find you and uh, where we can find you at Bourbon State. Yeah, you can find me at my job at Bourbon State. <laughs> what about on, on Insta? Come on, girl, give us something. I mean, yeah. You just said I, dope I, I, on air. You I, know what I'm saying. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm on Instagram, um, but it's, you know, mostly just pictures of my horse and cat, so it's not... <laughs> Okay, we won't follow you there. So find you at Bourbon State. Yeah, that's a good idea. Four Seasons down in Georgetown. All right, do your thing. And then I'll All right, I beat this drum every week. Um, I'm just going to say again that the United States Congress is worthless because if you don't support Ukraine and their war against Russia, and if you have a certain somebody come into the White House that doesn't like NATO, the world is going to go to hell in a bucket. So support Ukraine any way you can, but particularly the refugees that are in and outside of the country. Same goes for uh, the folks in uh, the Palestine and in Israel. The, the world is experiencing a lot of misery, and they could use our help. So give up the latte one day. Send some money to Red Crescent, Red Cross, somebody. Okay. Jose is a good one. All right. And on that note, we want to thank all of our guests for coming in studio today. Sometimes we don't just eat and drink. Sometimes we learn how to eat and drink better. So uh, everything you heard here today, you can find on the list, areyouonit.com, the online zine that tells you everything happening in the DMV. Don't forget, Industry Night is now on YouTube. 
We've had some amazing, well, we, I have had some amazing shows. Uh, Vic Albisu is a good one to tune into. Just talked with Rose Previtt. And I had uh, Jessica Sidman of Washingtonian and Anna Spiegel of Axos talk about where they thought 2024 was going to be with dining in and around the D.C. area. So check that all out. Lastly, follow me at NYCCI, N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the other platforms. Um, Be safe out there and have a delicious week.